going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. What's going on, man? Not much, man. Just uh, another crazy weekend in college football. And I'm trying to figure out Ohio State, Bob. I think I think the entire state of Ohio is trying to figure out the Buckeyes because I certainly didn't see that one coming either, that big win against Michigan State. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another week passed uh, in college football, and obviously some upsets happen, but uh, equally surprising was that 48-3 win over Michigan State by Ohio State coming off of uh, that blowout loss to Iowa. Uh Chris, I mean, what, what, not just the win against a ranked team, but, but the way they did it, I mean, what, what, what are you making of this Ohio State team? I'm making that it's a very inconsistent team. I think that that's pretty obvious at this point, uh, to rally the way they did against Penn State, then to lose terribly against Iowa, only to flip the script and look phenomenal against Michigan State. Now, I will say this. The two wins came at home. The one loss came on the road. So obviously, you know, home field has something to do with it. But then you turn around and look, Oklahoma came in and beat Ohio State at home pretty badly as well. So I don't think there's any figuring this team out. It's just a very inconsistent group right now. And, uh, you know, I... They definitely control their own destiny with regards to the Big Ten now. If they went out, they'll be the Big Ten champion. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out which Ohio State team is for real, is, is the one that we're going to get for the rest of the year. Well, if you had to choose, which would you pick? I mean, given the the comeback heroics of Penn State, the the machine against Michigan State, or the prone to just drop you know easy games against Iowa which of those teams seems more likely heading into the tail end of the season I'd be hesitant to call Iowa an easy game I don't think that they're a cupcake uh, that certainly was a trap game but but they certainly should not have lost as badly as they did um I think the answer lies within that Penn State game because you saw the two extremes the last two weeks you saw what happens when all goes wrong, and you saw what happens when this team is focused, locked in, and clicking on all cylinders. And in Penn State, you had a little bit of both. You know, in Penn State, Ohio State initially looked like, you know, they were a little overwhelmed, that there were some miscues, but then they rallied and came all the way back. And I think the Penn State game showed kind of where this Ohio State team is on average. You know, even the Oklahoma game, you know, at first they looked good and then then it kind of got away from them. It's kind of the opposite of what happened with Penn State. I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle, and I think that Penn State version is probably the version that is most likely to happen on a week-to-week basis because I don't think Ohio State is as bad as it played against Iowa. I also don't think that they're as good as they played against Michigan State. I think they can be. I just have seen enough inconsistencies from this team throughout the year that I think the answer lies more in that Penn State game, that this team is going to kind of show a little bit of both, if that makes sense. I am still I still have no idea 
what's going to happen the rest of the year. I, I do think that they will win next week, but but that Michigan game, Michigan's defense is still really good, even though even though they have quarterback problems. Yeah, it's hard to to. I mean, obviously that's what you've been saying. It's hard to make anything out of this Ohio State team based off of those last three games. Um, I agree with you. It's somewhere in the middle. Whether that is what we saw in Penn State, I'm not sure. I think the most the team that we saw against Michigan state that just pounded the ball and, and just ran it down their throats and, and played stifling defense. Uh, that seems like the Ohio state team that we'll have going forward. Now, whether they'll be able to do that against possibly stouter competition in Michigan, at least defensively uh, that remains to be seen. And, and, you know, we have an imminent showdown against Wisconsin as well in the big 10 title game. Should Ohio state, uh, Win, win their next two games uh, and and go to that, that conference championship. So I don't know if they're going to put up 48 uh, against all their opponents going forward and, and limit the, the opposition to, to less than a touchdown, but they have the talent to do so, and that's what they want to do. I think they're focused. I think you know if we saw even Michigan State come close to beating Ohio State at home coming off of that surprise loss to Iowa – uh, I think that that would have been a sign that this team just didn't have it this year, but they rallied and they might have, you know, doubled down uh, on their goals. Uh, the Big Ten title is certainly within their reach, uh, and given the volatility of last weekend uh, and the upcoming matchups from all the teams ranked ahead of them in, in the polls, there's a shot that they could be a college football playoff team uh, at the end of the year. Uh, and I think this Michigan State team showed us that they have the tools to do so and that they're not giving up. Uh, and as long as they stay committed to the run game uh, between Dobbins and Weber to take the burden off of Barrett, uh, I think that they certainly have a chance to do so. Oh, no, I definitely agree that you saw what they could be against Michigan State. You saw all the potential full bore against Michigan State. It's just a matter of whether or not they're going to finally use that as a launching pad. I thought the Penn State game was a launching pad, Bob. I really did. I thought that they were going to use that game and morph into the playoff team that we knew that they were capable of being. But then they drop a huge loss to Iowa that just derailed their playoff hopes. And you said, yeah, they have an outside shot at making it. They need Wisconsin to be undefeated, bottom line. And that's not a given. Michigan could beat them this weekend. I think if Wisconsin beats Michigan... It's likely they'll be 12 and 0, but don't underestimate the rivalry factor against Minnesota. Uh, so, so certainly not a lock to win out as far as Wisconsin goes, but but a safe bet. Um, Ohio State, I don't think is a lock to win out. I I certainly think they could lose to Michigan. I think they'll beat Illinois because Illinois is just not very good, but they should certainly lose to Michigan. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just it's so disheartening that they had that epic letdown against Iowa because you see what they did to Michigan State just obliterated them that's the team that they're capable of being and and it's unfortunate that they kind of got it together ultimately a week too late Bob I don't think they're going to make the playoffs they have an outside shot but I don't think that they will be there yeah I I think it's unlikely um but you know there's a chance and and you look at the rankings and and who's ahead of them We, we still have uh 
you know, the SEC teams, Auburn and Alabama and the SEC West or SEC East, Miami versus Clemson, there's, there's room for them to, to get there. And they could possibly be the first two lost team to make the college football playoff. And with the way they're ranked, uh, you know, they're, they're ahead of all the other two lost teams other than Auburn. Um, so I think it's possible, but I, I agree with you. It's, it's unlikely and I don't think it's going to happen. Um, cause even then, uh, the committee would have to have some favorable votes in their favor, uh, and, and go against some other teams. So yeah, I, everything is against them, but if they win out and if they continue to win big uh, against Michigan and Wisconsin, like they did against Michigan state, I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Absolutely within the realm of possibility. Uh, first off, they need to be Alabama fans because Alabama needs to get Auburn out of the way and get Georgia a second loss. If Alabama wins out, it makes it easier for Ohio State because that would eliminate both Auburn and Georgia from the college football playoff. Georgia, I think, cannot absorb a second loss. If Georgia loses again, they'll be eliminated because I just don't think their strength of schedule is there. I don't think that the quality wins are there. That Yes, they beat Notre Dame. Mississippi State looks better but they, Mississippi State still lost to Alabama. Uh, I, I just, I don't think Georgia will be there if they lose again. And I definitely don't think Auburn will be there if they lose three times. So Alabama definitely needs to be the team that Ohio State fans are rooting for. I know that's tough, but it helps them. And then, obviously, Clemson probably needs to lose again. The, the, the big one, though, is Oklahoma because Oklahoma has the all-important head-to-head win. So if they're both sitting there with two losses, what do you do? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, it, it's going to take a lot for Ohio State to get there. But you're right. It's it's not over yet because you look at the rankings and there are a lot of two-loss teams. There aren't many one-loss teams anymore. They're starting to drop like flies. So maybe, maybe they get there, but 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 it's going to be very tough. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely don't control their own destiny, obviously. Uh, a lot of things have to fall in their favor. Um but yeah, uh, you know, this was a crazy weekend. I mean, Michigan State, I, I did not, I, I assumed Ohio State would win. I thought that would be pretty likely. It's hard to see this team lose two games in a row, especially after taking a whooping on the road like that coming home. Um, but I, I was shocked that they won by 45 points against a uh, number 12 ranked Michigan State at the time. Um, so yeah, that, that's crazy. Uh, and certainly some other things happened over the weekend, Georgia losing to at Auburn, Notre Dame losing, uh, Chris, of the, the, the other big games that happen, uh, which one stands out most to you? Uh, the one that stands out most to me is Miami drumming Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame was the number three team in the college football playoff rankings and, and, and in most polls. Um, and, and Miami just announced that, Hey, look, that Virginia tech game, that was no fluke. You know, we can beat Notre Dame too. I think that that was more of a statement that the U is for real and a serious playoff contender and someone who shouldn't be taken lightly. So that was the statement game for me. Um, Georgia didn't concern me as much because Georgia is still in the SEC title game. They were undefeated. They can absorb a loss, still win the SEC if they beat Auburn or Alabama in the rematch and will likely be, and no, not likely, the SEC champion will be in the college football playoff unless it's some crazy scenario where Auburn wins out and is a two-loss champion. Then it could get interesting, but even then they will have beaten Georgia, Alabama, and Georgia three out of the last four games. Very tough to overlook that. 
uh, uh, run of victories to end the season. So I- I'm confident the SEC champion will be there. I'm not too concerned about Georgia losing to Auburn. They still have control of their own destiny as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but gone is the talk of send- SEC sending two uh, representatives. If you had that he- undefeated head-to-head matchup in the SEC championship uh, between Georgia and Alabama, I think that could have been likely, especially given uh the, like you said, there's not a lot of one-loss teams left in, in the field, and, and they'll probably be even less uh, heading forward. But now that Georgia has lost, I, I think the SEC, I agree, is a lock to send one, but definitely not two anymore. That conversation's gone. It doesn't surprise me that Georgia lost on the road. Uh, that's a rivalry game. Uh, freshman quarterback walked into a buzzsaw, uh, and they, you know, laid a pretty big egg you know no no discredit to auburn they they dominated them for sure um but doesn't totally surprise me that georgia would drop that game uh miami though like you said had to make a statement against notre dame uh they seem like one of you know them and wisconsin uh are are newcomers to to this top 10 and needed to to announce themselves uh and miami hadn't really had a big win on this season. Uh, Florida State looks nice, but you know they're not. They're having a down year. So for them to to whoop Notre Dame like that uh, was a statement game and, and announces them as for real and uh, contenders to to win the ACC and obviously uh, be a representative in the playoff. So Bob, let, let let's throw a wild card in here. So I'm looking at the AP top 25 right now, and I see in the top 10. Three one-loss teams and three undefeated teams. So, so it's slim pickings for teams with one or fewer losses. And then I look down at number fourteen and I see UCF at nine and zero. They could win out if Memphis wins out as well. They will have faced a top twenty to fifteen team in the American Championship game. If UCF is undefeated and there's a sea of two-loss teams surrounding them. Why not them? I mean, let's look at their resume just for a minute before you laugh me out of the room. They've already beaten Memphis, and that's about it. Okay, so not not the greatest resume in the world. They would have to beat Memphis again in the uh, American Championship game. But I'm just saying, if they're surrounded by a sea of two lost teams, why not give the undefeated little guy a shot? Yeah, I I think it's... uh... A valid point. I'm surprised that they're ranked that low in the polls. Maybe the committee will do something differently and make a statement with them. Um, yeah, I, I think that's definitely worth entertaining. I, I do think uh, if you have these Power Five teams, you know, four Power Five teams with one or fewer losses uh, at the end of the year, then you know UCF will be on on the outside looking in but if you're talking about a two loss power five champion versus undefeated UCF uh I think they definitely deserve a a consideration uh to to be invited to the playoff for sure I think that the ACC SEC and Big 12 in all likelihood will claim three of the four spots but that fourth spot is a true wild card if Wisconsin is not undefeated. I think if Wisconsin is 13-0, they're in no matter what. They're, they're, they're not shutting the door on a 13-0 Power 5 champion. Period. End of story. They will have beaten Iowa, Michigan. Northwestern's ranked as well. 
and then oh, probably Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. So Wisconsin, if they're 13-0, will be there. But if they lose, then things get interesting for that fourth playoff spot. I, I, I think that between TCU and Oklahoma doesn't really matter because they'll rematch in the Big 12 title game, and I think whoever wins that revenge match gets the playoff spot. Clemson and Miami, I think that's a play-in game. And then Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn, whichever two meet in the SEC title game, that's another play-in game. So I I think those three spots are going to those three conferences. If Wisconsin stumbles, things are going to get very interesting. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I I think if you're undefeated and power five champion, you you deserve that spot. should they lose that uh, against Michigan or uh, that that conference championship game, uh, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting, for sure. Um, Northwestern are they ranked? I'm looking. They were in the ranked in the in the college football playoff rankings. Oh, yeah, last yeah. week's playoff rank. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, certainly. Uh, if Wisconsin loses, Clemson beats an undefeated Miami. Is the ACC sending two? Uh, that's another possibility, too, because if TCU or Oklahoma State win the rematch with Oklahoma, they would be a two-loss team. And, and so that that could get very interesting. Yes, I, I agree there. Because then you would have a one-loss Clemson team that beat Auburn and an undefeated Miami team. So so certainly could get it. Like I said, if Wisconsin stumbles, things are going to get very interesting. But for that to happen, Clemson would not get in. A two-loss Clemson team. Oh, excuse me, a one-loss Clemson team, uh, Miami team would not get in over an undefeated Wisconsin team. A 13-0 Power yeah. 5 champion is going to the dance, period. It would take some chaos in the Big 12, namely Oklahoma falling in that rematch title game they got going on there to open another spot up. Another week down, uh, more playoff craziness and Big 10 excitement. Um, certainly we'll have even more clarity next week. Uh, Wisconsin plays Michigan. Uh, that will be no easy feat. Um, and, you know, we have the the uh, approaching the game, uh, Ohio State versus Michigan, in just a couple weeks as well. So keep in posted on the college football playoffs. Uh, Chris, let's move on to uh, not a crazy – weekend but certainly a, a a crazy game for the cleveland browns uh in, in the nfl trying to go for their first win against detroit and you know almost had it at certain points uh the end score of 38 to 24 i would say doesn't do the browns justice in how close they were at times to winning this game but chris there are also a lot of blunders did you have a chance to watch this game and, and what is your takeaway from it yes i did and uh you know, at times the Browns looked good, uh, but then there were some blunders. There was the fumble return for a touchdown. That's a backbreaker. When you're 0-8, you cannot make mistakes like that. You can't give seven points away on a turnover like that. But then 15 seconds left at the half, inside the five, two yards from the goal line, no timeouts. They were on a QB draw slash sneak slash Something that wasn't good because no timeouts, not enough time to spike it, didn't even get a field goal out of it. That that was a terrible play. Um, it looks like Deshaun Kaiser was responsible for getting into that play. Uh, it didn't look, you know, the, based on Hugh Jackson and Duke Johnson's reaction on the field, that's kind of what I believed because of, you know, A, I, I just don't believe Hugh Jackson would have called that play. 
Uh, I mean, he, he's made some mistakes, but I just, I just can't believe he would have called that play. And, and just based on Duke Johnson's reaction, I felt like he was supposed to get the ball there. And, 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 and Deshaun Kaiser, for whatever reason, audible. I, I don't know why that that happened, but that was a, uh, a huge lost opportunity. Now, in the Browns' defense, they did come out, opening drive at a half, come right down and score. Great. But you <laughs> left at least three, probably closer to seven points on the board with, with, a, with just a terrible play decision. And uh, you can't do that when you're on the road against a team like Detroit, who, well, proved it, showed why. Because they, in the second half, they just uh, kind of pulled away, and those blunders came back to, to haunt the Browns in the second half. Yeah, I mean, fumble, touchdown, combined with uh, no points at the end of the half, that's possibly a 14-point swing uh, at, at best, a, a 10-point, or at, at the least a 10-point swing. Uh, like you said, when you're going for your first win halfway through the season, that, that can't happen. Uh, but the Browns responded, uh, as you said, and, and marched down the field in the second half to tie the game 17-17. That was certainly surprising. And then they get the ball back and score another touchdown, go up 24-17. to So definitely, you know, they, they had it. I mean, they had the lines at certain points. Um, it's just when they took the lead, the blunders happened. And even at 24-17, you know, a 50-yard pass uh, to Kenny uh, Galladay, that name always gives me trouble, but you know, the Stafford and the Lions march down to the field and score a touchdown in, in four plays, uh, right after the Browns go up 24 17 to tie it. Uh, and then the Lions just uh shredded the secondary uh in the fourth quarter for two more touchdowns. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I don't think Hugh Jackson would have called that QB sneak, uh, and good of Deshaun Kaiser to admit that he called it and that backs up, like you said, what, what we saw on the field. Um, so I respect him for taking the blame. I wonder why he ever thought that that would be a good idea, but again, he's super young, uh, not just for as a rookie, but he's young amongst his rookie peers, uh, only three years in college. So a lot of learning for Deshaun Kaiser and, and that's a learning opportunity. Uh, but this was probably the best the Browns have looked all year. I mean, not since the the first couple games have I seen them have tangible moments where they were in the lead and had opportunities to win the game. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would agree with that. And I do think that, I also think the other factor, Deshaun Kaiser going out with that rib injury really changed the offense. The offense, I'm not saying it was good, but it's probably the best it's looked all year. And that just threw them out of their rhythm. Cody Kessler, I mean, it's clear what his ceiling is. And Cody Kessler missed a wide open throw that would have changed the game in the fourth quarter. Deep ball, probably at least goes for 30, 35 yards, maybe even a touchdown. He just overshoots his receiver, and he, you just can't do that. I mean, it, it, it was not a tough throw to make. That That's a throw you got to be able to make if you're trying to make it in the league. Uh, so, so I think that injury also played a major factor. But but it, it ultimately is encouraging. I know they're 0-9, but there are some tangible things that you can take away from this game and say, you know what, they they had a shot. And Detroit's a really good team fighting for the playoffs. Going in, going in there and playing them the way they did, that's a small victory for this team. And when you're 0-9, you will take any victory you can get. Uh, agreed. Uh, and, and lastly, um, Isaiah Crowell probably had the best game of his season so far, 90 yards and a touchdown uh, for 16 carries. That's uh, 
his most carries since the season opener uh, and against Tennessee, but he had 17 at both those times. Um, so good for him for finally having a good game. Uh, but for me, it highlighted, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Deshaun Kaiser looked, you know, as good as he's ever looked in the regular season when Isaiah Crowell had possibly the, the best game of, or the best game of his season so far. And Duke Johnson also ran the ball for 54 yards and 10 carries. It illuminates for me that either this offensive line needs fixing, which I, which I don't think is much of the problem because they've invested so much cash into that offensive line, even without with Joe Thomas on the sideline. Uh, it illuminates for me that the Browns need a running back, uh, a, a, a legit workhorse that can take the burden off of Deshaun Kaiser. I don't think it's Isaiah Crowell nor Duke Johnson, so I think that should be a, a top priority in the offseason, be that through the draft or free agency, but uh, the Browns need a run game, and, and Isaiah Crowell is just not bringing it. And you know, I, I, I'm glad that he finally had a good game. And if he puts together a string of good games, maybe that'll change my mind. But uh, as of right now, his performance showed me that he's not the answer at running back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would tend to agree. But but the the game against Detroit shows that he has the capability of being the answer. Um, I don't know how much of it's on him, how much of it's on the O line, and how much of his it just him not getting carries. Because because Bob, we've talked about it a lot. It's kind of baffling why he doesn't get more touches on a regular basis. But as you said, he showed against Detroit that he has the potential to be that guy and 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 be an answer at running back. But but for whatever reason, um, things just aren't working out or just it's just not happening and so maybe he still has seven games everyone on this team has seven games to show improvement season's not over yet I hope that they continue in this direction because I think that there were more for once there were more encouraging signs than discouraging signs in a game involving the Browns and that's progress no I I agree and Crowell can prove me wrong I just don't know like we're halfway through his fourth season this is probably the strongest offensive line he's run behind with or without Joe Thomas. Uh, and this is probably going to be his most disappointing season or is set to be, you know, he could change that for me, but um, yeah, I just, I just, I don't see it. I don't think uh, historically I'd be surprised to, to see running backs that have a resurgence or a breakout in their fifth season uh, in the league. So I think it's time for a change, but yeah, he, he could change my mind. That's realistic. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, more Browns to come next week. And the Browns take on Jacksonville uh, next weekend uh, at home. Chris, I, I don't think this uh, bodes well for the Browns. Uh, are, w- what's your quick pick here? You see what Jacksonville did to the other teams in the AFC North? Those teams are a lot better yeah. than the Browns. Uh, I don't think that they are going to fare very well against what is a nasty defensive unit and a team that even with or without Leonard Fournette can run the ball down your throat. And that doesn't bode well because Jamie Collins, talented linebacker, probably the most talented linebacker on the Browns, tore his ACL, uh, not ACL, MCL, out for the season. That's a huge blow. I, I don't think the Browns have much of a chance in this game. I think the Jaguars are going to win convincingly, mainly because that defense is for real. They went into Pittsburgh destroyed the Steelers in London, destroyed the Ravens, and recently without Leonard Fournette, beat down the Bengals. So I'm thinking that trend continues against the AFC North and the Jaguars make it 4-0. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't I don't see them winning this game, but again, uh, not 
I'm not going to say that, or I'm going to say that every week uh, until the end of the season. Yeah, that Jaguars defense uh, is pretty nasty, uh, both in the secondary and in the front seven, and they're uh, imposing their will on lots of teams in the AFC, AFC North in particular. Um, and and yeah, Le- Leonard Fournette is is a beast, and that kind of look at he he's do partially responsible for saving Mike Bortles' career. Um, he's having such a good season. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll be back for this game, but with or without him, uh, they, they have a running game. They have some talent. Uh, no way that the Browns are going to win this game. I will say, though, if they play well against Jacksonville, that will give me confidence into the last six because the Browns do have some winnable games down the stretch here. Uh, there are some teams that we thought might not be winnable games that have suffered some significant injuries. So if the Browns, A, can get out of this game healthy and B, can build off the Detroit game, they may set themselves up to to win a couple games in the last six. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm looking at the schedule right now. Bengals, Packers, Bears, Chargers, those are teams the Browns could beat. That's true. If this is any indication, they they are improving. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's possible. I, I they could, I could see them beating the Ravens as well. So that's just about every game past the Jags before the Steelers. By the way, how disappointed are you if you bought tickets for the Browns-Packers game before the year? This is probably Aaron Rodgers' last trip to Brown Stadium because they only come once every eight years. Four years from now, it'll be in Green Bay, and now he's probably not going to play because of the shoulder injury. Major buzz kill. Yeah, certainly. Though, I will say Detroit is like an hour and a half, two-hour drive. They go to Detroit every year. You could You could do that. That is true. You always just got to ruin everything. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, how much of a better game would that be? Green true. Bay versus Detroit. <laughs> that is true. You go to that, that, I mean, you see Aaron Rodgers throw a Hail Mary against Detroit because he always seems to rip their hearts out. Yeah, and it's not the, you're not watching the Browns play. So <laughs> so cold, man, so cold. Yeah. Uh, well, Chris, we, we do have some baseball news. Uh, awards will be handed out this week for all categories MVP Cy Young manager of the year and the Cleveland Indians despite postseason disappointment uh, have candidates uh, in lots of categories MVP Cy Young and manager uh, Jose Ramirez uh, is a finalist for MVP Corey Kluber is a finalist for the Cy Young and Terry Francona for manager of the year Chris what uh, is the likelihood that any or all of these Indians take home some hardware First, let me just say, they should have just released the winners for Rookie of the Year because it's going to be Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger. Like, they didn't even need to release finalists for those awards. We all know what's happening there. Um, Right. Now, going back to the Indians, the likelihood that they win all three is very low because I don't think Jose Ramirez is winning MVP. I I think it's a great accomplishment that he got a finalist. I think that that is certainly something that he deserved. But uh, I think this is Jose Altuve's award. Wouldn't surprise me if Aaron Judge won it because he came down. He had a great start, slumped in August, but then helped them into the playoffs. So wouldn't surprise me if he won it, but I think it's Jose Altuve's to lose. Um, I also think manager of the year is probably going to go to Paul Molitor because the Twins went from a 100-loss team to a playoff team. Very impressive turnaround. 
AJ Hinch probably I don't know. I, I don't know if I would give it to him over Francona, but because Francona did have a better year. But I, I do think Paul Molitor deserves to win the award, and I, I I would think that he is the favorite there. Um, I think the best shot for the Indians to take home one of the uh, some hardware is Corey Kluber and the Cy Young because I think it's a two-person race. All due respect to Luis Trevino, who had a great year, but he is the third. He's the bronze medalist in that group. It's it's between Kluber and Sale and Bob. It, it, it's going to be closer than people think. I, I'm interested to see how close this vote comes down to because uh, um, while, I think, while I think Kluber is the favorite, I'm not favoring him by much, and I'm bracing for a possibility of Chris Sale winning this award. Yeah, I think Chris Sale's going to win it um, as much as I want Kluber to, and I think he's deserving. Um, the only way I could see Kluber coming out, or the only explanation I can see for Kluber coming home with this trophy is Chris Sale's worst month regular season-wise was in September, and that's when Kluber and the Indians were red hot. Um, so when the votes were cast, uh, Kluber was having a, a better string of games, but Chris Sale had a historic season uh, was, was dominant even in September he didn't it wasn't like he had a complete implosion he was still good um, I, I think it's his to, to walk away with um, looking at the MVP award I agree it's Judge versus Altuve I'm, I'm pulling for Jose Altuve uh, Aaron Judge I think has had a phenomenal season and uh, a breakout season obviously he's gonna he's a rookie um, but Jose Altuve just highlighted for me uh throughout the regular season and the postseason, just how versatile and important he is to his team. Uh, Aaron Judge does have some defensive abilities in robbing some home runs, but at the plate, he either strikes out or hits home runs. Uh, I, I just want Altuve to win that, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankee, the home run slugger, uh, Judge walks away with the award. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't think Ter- Terry Francona is going to walk away with uh, a back-to-back manager of the year victory he won it uh last season for 2016 and he he won it in 2013 for the indians so that's uh already twice uh in the previous four seasons i i think they're gonna mix it up and it's either hinch or, or molador uh, i see your argument for M- molador uh and the twins uh i think aj hinch is gonna win it though yeah, and totally deserving. They won 100 games in Houston, so uh, not not that it would surprise me if AJ Hitch won it. Um, and Bob, you stole my thunder because because I actually think Chris Sale is also going. I think he's going to win the Cy Young Award, the 300 strikeout year, uh, the Boston market. But more importantly, I, I think that there is just this. This is the first time we've had a chance to really honor him with the Cy Young, and I think winning a previous Cy Young will affect Corey Kluber. But, but it's not that Sale's undeserving. He struck out 300 batters this year. That is a historic, rare accomplishment. And, and, and I'm sick and tired of people in Cleveland talking like Chris Sale was garbage in September. He did, Yeah, he had some bad starts, but he had a historic season too. His numbers are right there. Yeah. He would be a totally deserving candidate if he won. And I, I agree with you. I think he is going to win. And uh, I think a lot of people in Cleveland are going to be really disappointed. Yeah, this isn't one a Rick Porcello over Kluber situation from last year. Uh, I will totally understand if Chris Sale wins. And um, he had a September was his worst of a historically great season. So take that for what it is. Um, one last takeaway from the American League races. Chris, in six full seasons, Mike Trout has finished either first or second in MVP voting. This will be the first time he doesn't do that. 
uh, just amazing how fantastic he's been uh, since entering the league and, and, and shocking that he's not uh, going to finish in the top three. It, it, I've been taking that for granted in the past six years. And he is an unbelievable talent, and, and, and if he keeps this up, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Heck, he only needs to do it for a couple more years, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. He's just been that good. Uh, one last point about Chris Sale winning. Bob, we saw firsthand what the Boston market can do for Rick Porcello, who was clearly the third best of the three finalists between Verlander and Kluber. I thought Verlander got robbed big time, and the voters who left him completely off the ballot should never be allowed to vote again. That's just <laughs> unbelievable how he wasn't even on the final ballot for some people, and that's basically the reason why he didn't win it. So if the big market can help Rick Porcello win the Cy Young, let's not underestimate the factor when when considering a close race like this. But I think ultimately Chris Sale's historic season uh, will propel him to the victory. Hey, I hope Kluber wins. I'm not saying he's undeserving. I just think Chris Sale's going to win it. Yeah, agreed. So you and I agree. Uh, no Indians will be taken home uh regular season at hardware um adding to the disappointment of this season but um i would trade all the hardware away for a little bit more success from the indians postseason wise this year uh, chris national league real quick who are your picks for mvp cy young and manager these races are going to be more interesting uh i don't know actually well manager of the year i think is the easiest of the three i think uh toy Lo- Lavulo, excuse me, from the Diamondbacks is going to win that. But Black, great uh, argument, but the Diamondbacks were also a surprise team and they finished better than them. I think that's what wins out. Um, Cy Young is a tough one because all three of these guys kind of missed a little time. They're so good. Um, I think they'll, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, 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 I That's the one that I, I is impossible to pick. And MVP is close. Like, how can you give it to Joey Votto? The Reds didn't do anything. I think Paul Goldschmidt will win MVP. Uh, but Stanton, man, he mashed all those home runs, but the Marlins didn't make the playoffs. I don't know. I have no idea. Those two awards, I have no idea who's going to win. And, and so I guess if I had to pick Cy Young, I'll just uh, blindly go uh, Kershaw. Cy Young is definitely going to be interested. I'm going Scherzer uh, in that one. He has Kershaw and Strasburg beat in terms of innings pitched by about 25 innings worth. Oh, wow. um, that might be able to to tip the the ballot there. Um, and then an MVP, I'm I'm confused why I, I get Goldschmidt obviously, and I think he's going to win it given the field. Uh, I get Stanton, but Joey Votto over Nolan Arenado or Charlie Blackman is a head scratcher to me. I think those two guys are going to finish four and five, um, but they just seem, they were playoff teams and they had fantastic years, both respectively for the Rockies. Uh, I'm surprised that neither of them uh, is an, is a top three finalist. That being said, uh, you know, Joey Votto did have a really good year. Um, Goldschmidt being the only postseason team player of those three, I'm going with him. I think he is deserving. Uh, and this was a breakout kind of welcome to to the world superstar uh, moment for Goldschmidt. Yeah, I think Goldschmidt's numbers combined with the playoff appearance will will propel him. But, man, don't underestimate 59 home runs. That is uh, very impressive in this day and age. Give me 60. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, and I agree with you. Uh, manager of the year, uh, National League, uh, Torrey. Lavulio uh, of the Diamondbacks. Um, I could see Bud Black, but like you said, uh, Diamondbacks just were better. So, yeah. 
Well, Indians, uh, we believe, are underdogs for all their trophies. Uh, perhaps they will surprise us, and we'll have someone to talk about next week uh, with that. Um, Chris, moving on to the Cavaliers, uh, you know, still treading water, struggling a little bit, uh, not as things aren't going as bad as they were about a week ago. Um, but there was a big trade that didn't directly involve Cleveland, but, uh, involves them in the fringes, LeBron's friend and business partner, Eric Bledsoe traded from the Phoenix Suns to the Milwaukee Bucks for Greg Monroe and a first round pick, uh, rumor is that the Suns are shopping Greg Monroe and possibly might buy him out if they don't get any buyers. Uh, Chris, are you surprised, one, that the Cavs weren't more interested in Bledsoe, and two, should the Cavs go in for Greg Monroe? Well, yes, I'm surprised that they weren't more interested in Bledsoe, given that they really wanted to trade Kyrie Irving for him. I think he was their top target. Um, so I'm surprised that they weren't more involved in the deals. I think it's a great fit for the Bucks because uh, now Giannis has a running mate and, and a pretty darn good one at that. Bucks are building something very nice up there in Milwaukee. I, I'm going to be excited to see uh, that team as it develops throughout the year. Greg Monroe, I don't know, man. I, I I think if he gets bought out, why not? If you can get him for a value contract, but but I don't know if I would trade for him. I, I don't think that he is what the Cavs need right now. Yeah, I mean, I could see it if Tristan Thompson, you know, he's injured right now. Uh, you know, if he's gonna miss more extended time, I could see them getting a rim protector, and I think Monroe is more of a true rim protector than Tristan Thompson and is more gifted offensively. You, you probably lose something rebounding wise. Um, but yeah, they don't, they don't need their glaring need. Isn't a center that can't shoot, uh, can't stretch the floor. Uh, they need more length on the wing, more athleticism, and they need a point guard. I mean, <laughs> Derek Rose, uh, is unreliable with his health. Isaiah Thomas, uh, all news is good, but he's still out uh, and, and won't return until around January. Uh, so Bledsoe seemed like a perfect fit uh, for that need, especially given his relationship with LeBron, you know, kind of trying uh, effort to appease him. Um, I just wonder if the Cavs, one, are, you know, this is a, a very strong vote in confidence uh, in Isaiah Thomas that he's going to come back and be somewhat of the all-star that we saw last year, averaging almost 30 points a game. And also, you know, Eric Bledsoe has put up some great numbers in Phoenix uh, and, and was a promising prospect in, in Los Angeles, uh, but nothing has really come of that. And I wonder if the Cavs just didn't want the attitude problems that Bledsoe has been known for and another somewhat injury-prone point guard on the roster, uh, and maybe the the Suns were, were asking for way too much. But Greg Monroe in a first-round pick, uh, I think the Cavs would have had something to match that. Uh, I, I just think the Cavs weren't interested. I find that surprising, but uh, I'm trying to take away some good, good, good uh, read into it and take away some good things from that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how how much the Cavs could have matched that Greg Monroe in a first round pick. That that is a solid package for Eric Bledsoe, yeah. but. I mean, you figure Monroe's just going to get bought out, so I guess they're really just trading him for a pick and a contract. So, yeah, I don't know. I Like I said, I, I don't think Monroe is the answer for Cleveland, but like you said, if Tristan Thompson has a 
prolonged injury, then then maybe. But but I would only want it if it's a value contract. I wouldn't want to give up any sort of significant assets for Greg Monroe. I think that the Suns are ultimately going to buy him out, and if they do, then maybe you get him on a value deal. I'm starting to spend my my daydreams at, at work thinking of Demarcus Cousins on the Cavs. I don't know if that's going to happen, Bob. I, yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. That that would require a very I mean, that that would be a gutsy move cuz you're going to have to part ways with that Nets pick to do that. Oh, for sure. Uh yeah, I mean it, it would cost you for sure. Uh but I think think it would be worth it. I don't know, man. I would love it if it were Anthony Davis instead of DeMarcus Cousins, but uh well, that's probably definitely not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, contractually, age-wise, yeah, I, I would prefer that. But Boogie's been a little bit more reliable this year and last year. Hey, know. man. Another, another time we can talk about Yeah, hey, man, you can just go through that trade machine and make a lot of beautiful things happen. But unfortunately... Oh, I know exactly how to make it work. <laughs> the trade machine does not run the Cleveland Cavaliers. And uh, it does, it's not as easy to do that in the NBA. But... Uh, that is a discussion for another podcast. We are out of time here on this episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Please check out all our old episodes at FenleyRoadSports.com. You can subscribe via iTunes. Search Fenley Road Sports, click Clee Talk, and then hit subscribe. While you're at it, just give us five stars because, you know, we could use it. And we appreciate your support. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Friendly Road Sports. And again, come back every week for another episode of Clee Talk where we break down all the Cleveland sports action that we possibly can in the time that we have. Until next week, go Browns. I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give all my love to the Browns and hope that they hu- score a huge upset against Jacksonville because that would be awesome. So go Browns. Bring it home. Deep down, I know you have it in you. Yeah, I, I see you, Chris, and, and go Browns. <laughs> Take it easy, Bob.